So much of farm economics has to do with the value of farmland. Whether that's the high barrier to entry of buying farmland or the price of cash rent, the argument can be made and has been made that farming is more than anything an act of wealth building via land acquisition over the long term. There's over $3.1 trillion worth of farmland in the U.S. And that, at least as of a few years ago, was the same economic value as all of the apartment buildings in the U.S. or all of the office buildings in the U.S. So it is this giant asset class and 54% of U.S. farmland is leased. So farmland is commercial real estate if you look at it from that perspective. Today, we talked to Craig Wishner, who is the founder and managing partner of Farmland LP. With $200 million of farmland under management, they're one of the 15 largest farmland managers in the U.S. and the largest focused on regenerative and organic agriculture. It delivers wonderful returns over time, 11% annualized returns over the past 90 years, half from cash flow, half from appreciation. And that's just average farmland in this great asset class. And we felt we could buy farmland a little bit better, but more importantly, we could add value to that farmland. Farmland investing and managing regenerative agriculture at scale on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hammerich, and every week I get to sit down with the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. Before we dive in today, I want to give a very sincere thank you and shout out to three new members of the FOA community. Just so happens that these are all people I've spoken to personally in the past, and it really means a lot to me that people of this caliber would want to support this show and join the community. So thank you very much to Dan Cosgrove, Brandy Wilson, and Chris Bunio for joining that community here in recent weeks. If you're listening and would also like to support the show and join a growing community of amazing people in ag, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. Today's episode features a unique approach to farmland investing. Farmland LP buys farmland and adds value by doing things like planting higher value crops, converting to certified organic, and implementing regenerative farming practices. The company then leases this higher value land back to farmers who agree to maintain this way of farming. Joining us on the show today is Farmland LP founder and managing partner Craig Wishner. Craig founded Farmland LP in 2009, so he's been at it for a while now and is responsible for day-to-day management, business strategy, and all investment activity. He's a seasoned executive with nearly 30 years of experience building companies and investing. He's also helped manage his family's real estate portfolio of apartment buildings for over 25 years. Last but not least, he serves on the board of BN Ranch, which is Bill Nyman's successor company to Nyman Ranch. Craig and I have a fascinating and wide-ranging conversation about investing in farmland, their strategies for acquiring property and adding value, and how he's thinking about the future of agriculture and, of course, this asset class of farmland. As you're about to hear, Craig's not afraid to call it like he sees it, which is actually one of the qualities I look for in a podcast guest. And this is especially true for Craig when it comes to topics related to sustainability. He sees a lot of greenwashing going on in agriculture now that it's sort of popular and wants to see more data-backed metrics for actually improving the lands on which we farm. Enjoy this conversation with Craig Wishner of Farmland LP. (music) 
we buy conventional farmland and convert it to organic, regeneratively managed farmland as an investment fund. We have about $200 million worth of farmland under management and grow a wide variety of crops, about 40 different crops. And we really specialize in adding value to farmland. So adding value, number one, by converting to organic, number two, by implementing technology and infrastructure, such as drip irrigation systems. And then thirdly, by changing the crops that are grown on that land. So for example, switching from commodity row crops to organic vegetables or converting to permanent crops like organic blueberries or wine grapes or other crops that are really just ideal for that particular piece of land. Uh, and we really specialize from a management standpoint of bringing the right farmers onto the land. In some cases, we'll farm it ourselves, but our primary business is in improving the management of the land and then leasing that land out to farmers who specialize in that particular crop rotation, that particular crop that's ideal for that piece of land at that point in the rotation. Yeah. And what brought you into this? So, you know, I spent 10 summers growing up on a farm. Uh, and so I've farmed crops and milked cows and built barns and things like that. But I'm really not the farmer of the crew. I bring to it really a, a lifetime of managing investment real estate. Uh, so commercial real estate, multi-tenant commercial real estate. And we bring that kind of real estate management lens to farmland uh, as an asset class, which has a lot of advantages we can talk about. But I also have a, a scientific background. My degree is in biochemistry and molecular biology, minor in economics. And so from a business standpoint, we really focus on healthy biological management of the soils. So how do we improve that soil biology and really switching farmland management from a chemical-based system to a biology-based system, you have to get the chemistry right. But the true plant health and the true nutrient cycling and advantages that come from focusing on the soil biology, that delivers wonderful benefits in terms of plant health and their resistance to disease. Also, plant growth, vigor, by making the right nutrients available at the right time for those plants. And that results in greater crop yields and higher quality fruit, which, for example, is really important for blueberries, for example. Yeah. And was that the thesis when you started Farmland LP is like, hey, I, I just believe this to be true. If we can get the biology right, we focus on the soil, we go organic, like it will all work out. Or does that kind of come with the last 12 years of experience? So we absolutely founded Farmland LP on the idea that we could add value by converting from conventional commodity crops to organic farmland. And the thesis that we had to prove as a business was that we could increase the cash flow. We could make it more profitable by converting it to organic. We knew that the agricultural practices would work, but we had to demonstrate in numbers, in audited financials, <laughs> that organic was more profitable than conventional commodity cropping systems. And we have demonstrated that. We've demonstrated that we take land that previously uh, rented for $300 an acre, take it through a three-year organic conversion process, and then lease it for $750 an acre. The farmers are making more money, and we're making more money. And we've demonstrated that. And that's what we set out to do 12 years ago. And we've clearly proven that. And now we're growing. The land that we have available for organic farmers is maxed out. It's fully leased out. We have more demand for our land than we have organic land available. And so that's really kind of continuing to drive the expansion. 
getting those first investors on board. What were their reservations? Because I don't know if 12 years ago, there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was anyone taking this approach at any sort of scale, meaningful scale. What were their reservations at the time? And what did it take to kind of get the right investors on board? I love our early investors. Our fundamental premise was that farmland was just a great investment as an asset class. It delivers wonderful returns over time, 11% uh, annualized returns over the past 90 years, half from cash flow, half from appreciation. And that's just average farmland in this great asset class. And we felt we could buy farmland a little bit better, but more importantly, we could add value to that farmland over time. And so for the investors, they were certainly taking on risk with a new fund and a new management team. But the real pitch was, hey, you're investing in farmland. And if our management system fails, then we can just go back to commodity continuous corn. Actually, none of the investors wanted that. Uh, so, uh, But uh, the early investors liked the idea of investing in farmland as an asset class, which they've done very well on. And they did want to make the world a better place. They did want to also help demonstrate that organic regenerative agriculture increases financial returns. Yeah. So, you know, a measly 11% over the past 90 years. So if that were to continue, that downside is really, really limited <laughs> uh, to, to say the least. Well, so measly 11%. So just, just so that people have context for it, that's a top decile or top, at least a top quartile return every decade and, the, and even a top decile return, top 10% return across any asset class, venture capital, private equity, stock market, Etc. There are asset classes, the ones that I mentioned, that in a single decade may deliver that or even above that for periods of time, but they also deliver zeros or negative returns. So venture capital firms and private equity firms, depending on the vintage year, can literally return nothing for the investors. So you need a double on your next fund in order just to break even. And the stock market as well has this tremendous volatility as well. So farmland being this slow and I did venture capital and private equity before I started Farmland LP. And once I really understood the numbers, it would have been essentially unethical for me to raise venture capital and private equity, knowing that I would get lower returns for my investors than if I just bought average farmland and managed it. So when you actually look at the numbers, farmland is this amazing asset class. The big problem is that it's so hard for investors to get capital into the space because there's so few managers. Only 2% of farmland in the US is institutionally owned. So that's actually the big challenge for investors getting into the space. And that distorts certain parts of the market. Yeah. And you know, I know that there are platforms that have arisen since you've started Farmland LP to try to make farmland more accessible through like an online crowdfunding platform, for lack of a better term. How are you looking at those versus what you're doing? Why, why didn't you go that route? Maybe is a really crude way to ask that question. Great question. So there's a fundamental fact about agriculture, which is that profitability in agriculture correlates with scale. So if you look at any of the data, the larger the agricultural enterprise, the greater the profits. If you look at a single commodity corn operation, if you buy the most efficient tractors and harvesters, 
5,000 acres is about the right block size for one set of equipment. So if you're farming 4,000 acres and someone else is farming 5,000 acres, they're actually going to get a better return on capital than you are. If you're farming 6,000 acres, eh, you're, you really need to go to 10. So that's your, that's your kind of Lego block size. And if you kind of do the math on that, it's around $50 million worth of farmland and equipment in order to do that. And I know that now, but back when we started, we did the math from a private equity perspective, and we identified that around $50 million worth of farmland was kind of the minimum scale that you needed in order to do organic and regenerative agriculture at scale and get the cost down to an institutional level. And at a smaller level, $10 million worth of farmland was the minimum scale if I was going to drive the tractor, and that wasn't my highest and best use. So we started out basically knowing that we needed to buy at least $50 million worth of farmland to get the right economy of scale. And that correlates, you know, if you look at apartment buildings, a 400 unit apartment building or a large office building, so you can have that on-site farm management. So the point of this is that economies of scale are tremendously important uh, in agriculture. And we also knew that crop rotations is the best way to manage farmland. So that fundamental premise of, hey, we need to have at least four crops growing at any one time in rotation in order to have the best biological soil health and the best productivity. And that was about $50 million worth of farmland. That put us down a certain path to buy or invest in one individual farm with a different operator in different geographies and not get that kind of management synergy and management scale. That's hard. Buying a 100-unit apartment building is not the same as buying a 100 individual single-family homes. Much different management complexity and economies of scale in that. And so from a farmland perspective, that focus on economies of scale, if, if investors are investing in, in the individual farms, you know, that's great. There's really a tremendous amount of due diligence and investment burden that the individual has to pursue. They have to design their own portfolio. So they should be investing in at least five or 10 different farms uh, as well. And they have to make sure that each one on a standalone basis is getting the economies of scale as well. And so I'm very comfortable buying our farmland, managing it, working with farmers, doing the improvements that we need to do and getting full benefit of the economies of scale, I think there's a lot of appeal for people. I think what you're seeing is that people want to invest in farmland. They want that connection to the land. And there are just so few options to invest that you know they're going kind of a, a do-it-yourself route uh, on there, which is fine. Um, but there, there, are, there are some other options. Yeah, but uh, if if I'm understanding you correctly, you know they're not maximizing their value with the economies of scale. If they were to take kind of a similar approach to you, which obviously requires a lot of capital. In our view, it's a little less than uh, than optimal. But considering you also have to look at kind of the rest of the world and the investment opportunities there, and how kind of overvalued or overpriced or inefficient those sectors are, farmland's still a great place to invest. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk more about that. Cause I would imagine with the, if we're using this 11% trend line where farmland values are today are probably quite a bit above that trend line. And maybe some could argue, you know, at some point due for a correction. I don't know what your view is on that. If farmland feels inflated right now, or if it's just kind of like what you were just talking about relative to all the other investments, maybe it's not as inflated as you might say. 
uh, Bitcoin is, uh, you know, or whatever the, you know, insert asset here. What are your thoughts on that? So farmland is a giant asset class. There's over $3.1 trillion worth of farmland in the U.S. And that, at least as of a few years ago, was the same economic value as all of the apartment buildings in the U.S. or all of the office buildings in the U.S. So it is this giant asset class and 54% of U.S. farmland is leased. So farmland is commercial real estate. If you look at it from that perspective, just like the other asset classes, there's only 11% debt on the entire sector. So it's not a leveraged asset class. It's not correlated with the stock market. It's not correlated with the credit markets. If there's a credit crash, you're not going to have a whole bunch of farmers being forced to sell their farmland. And only 2% of farmland is institutionally owned. So it's this wonderful, non-correlated, almost pristine uh, asset class, but it's also very diverse. At $200 million worth of farmland, we're one of the 15 largest farmland managers in the US and the largest focused on organic and regenerative agriculture. So we're kind of objectively small, but still leaders in this space. It makes it challenging for investors to put large amounts of capital in this space. And the more access that investors have to put capital into the space, the more overpriced those particular assets are. So for example, I just looked at uh, Gladstone land, uh, which is a, a pretty well-managed farmland REIT, one of two, I'll just say the well-managed public farmland REIT. Uh, and they're trading at twice the value of their farmland. So when you just do like simple math, on it. So basically overpriced. I'm quite concerned about uh, that. I'd like them as a fundamentally as a firm, but looking at the price, that's quite concerning for, for people to be investing in. I worry that people will have a bad experience in it. And I want everyone to have a good experience investing in farmland. Then you look at farmland and, and the easiest farmland to get into that's not publicly traded is Midwestern corn land in Iowa in the auctions, for example. So there's a very liquid uh, auction market focused on Iowa and it kind of uh, extends beyond that. Well, that's up 28% over the trailing 12 months from Q3 of 2021. Nebraska right next to it grows about the same amount of corn. That's up 16%. And you go to Kansas, that's only up 10%, much less liquid market than that. And we just got uh, the appraisals in for our farmland in Washington state in the Pacific Northwest. It was appraised at a 9% uh, increase. Now, we can talk about the difference between appraisals and, and selling value, and we have had realizations that are significantly above appraised value. But the main point is, is that the more liquid the asset is, the more it is essentially what's increased in price. Is it overvalued? That's a much more complicated question. I actually, there are certain parts of farmland that I think are tremendously undervalued. And this is kind of the final point here. All farmland is not the same. The value of farmland is based on the value of the crops that you grow on that land. If you switch farmland from growing commodity corn and that land is capable, is ideally suited to a different kind of crop that generates more cash flow, wine grapes, blueberries, organic vegetables, anything else, you're going to significantly increase the cash flow and significantly increase the value of that land. So that's that's what we do from a value add strategy. But the baseline across the U.S. for valuing farmland is 53% of U.S. farmland grows two commodity crops, corn and soy. 
Okay. Most of that's in the Midwest. And so when people talk about is farmland overvalued, they're just looking at corn and soy land and what are the price trends relative to that. And I do think that corn land is, uh, is overvalued, but I do think there's tremendous value in, in other sectors of, of this $3.1 trillion sector. Is that also part of your original thesis with Farmland LP of you could buy it better because you were going to find the less liquid type uh, properties? Yeah. So we own investment real estate apartment buildings and I can buy farmland at better cap rates than I can buy apartment buildings. Uh, and there's, there's much more value add opportunities. Also, farmland in an area tends to trade at the commodity crop value. So wherever it is in that commodity crop, value cycle, I know that I'm going to be able to add value to that. But the other thing about commodity crops is that they're generally more volatile. So they have up cycles and down cycles. And so we knew that we would be able to buy farmland in areas that are having down cycles and get even better than normal prices and still execute our value add strategy. And what does the transition look like? So if you're if you're buying commodity crop land, you know, not organic, so who knows what has been used on it in, in, in recent years. Are you immediately putting it into, you know, whatever that permanent crop is you're looking to plant or do you have sort of a, a system for transition? Yeah, so we have seven people in fund management and 45 people in farmland management on our team. And so for each and every farm, actually on a field by field basis, so 20 to 40 acres at a time, we're looking at that soil we're looking at the growing climate and the markets, and we're identifying what are the ideal crops to grow on that land over a 10-year cycle. And even before we bought the property, we've done soil testing for heavy metals, for pesticides. We're, we're buying high-quality land. This is not brown fields. This is not poor-quality land. It's not contaminated land. And then we're just simply making it better. And some of the land is ideal to go into an organic vegetable crop rotation. Some of the land is ideal to go into various permanent crops uh, as well, which we do what we call a permanent crop suitability study on the land, which is which is quite extensive. And then from a management perspective, we're the farm managers of this property. We then start to take it through either the organic conversion process, which is a three-year process, or start planning for the permanent crop plantings. And that could go into permanent crops quickly. We could decide that we need to for blueberries, for example, lower the pH on the soil a little bit more or e even it out and then just implement that plan. And there are properties where we have a corner of the property where we have blueberries growing in one area where the soils are ideal for blueberries, organic vegetables right next to that, nut trees, catty corner to that, and then some of our worst quality land in the other corner growing olives. And those are the best crops for that environment. It would be incredibly challenging for one farmer to grow that variety of crops on that particular piece of land. In fact, for the prior 50 years, the crop rotation on that land had been two-thirds alfalfa, 25% corn, and the rest tomatoes. That was the crop rotation on that land for 50 years uh, before we bought it. It was easy and scalable for them to farm that, that kind of crop rotation, but it wasn't the highest and best use of that land. And you all are informing or at least approving both the crop that's grown there and the practices, I imagine? 
So we get the land certified organic and we get it recertified every single year. The farmers that we work with want organic land and the lease says that they're going to farm organically and they're also going to give us the information that we need in order to get the land certified organic. So it's a very good system for making sure that that land is well managed going forward. And we've also identified that that land is ideal for organic vegetables in that part of the rotation. We may have put it through a three or five year pasture rotation on cropland, then do a few years in vegetables, then maybe a year or two in grains, and then maybe back into pasture or do intensive cover cropping. So we're mapping out that kind of crop rotation, but for that organic vegetable cycle, that's where we're we have those organic vegetable tenants. We don't tell them whether to grow tomatoes or sweet corn or organic green beans or whatnot, but it is part of that vegetable rotation and they have full flexibility to grow whatever organic crops they want to on that year. And then the land will basically kind of tell you when it's ready to rotate out uh, of the vegetable cycle. Then usually we'll go into grains to use up some of that excess nitrogen that's in that soil, break some of those pest cycles may go back into a pasture phase as well, and then back into vegetables. So we're managing that land rotation process. Very interesting. Well, I two more topics I'm hoping to hit, hit on before I have to uh, let you go here. But the first one is regenerative. So organic is pretty clear to me. Like There is a very clear organic standard, what's organic, what's not organic. Uh, regenerative, not so much, especially in some of these specialty crops we're talking about. It's not as simple as going no-till, incorporating livestock, adding cover crops, and you know the, f- the five soil health principles. It's more complicated than that. So when you say regenerative, you know what are you referring to? And is that written into the lease similar to how organic would be written into the lease? Great question. Organic is very clear, and it's a great marketing label. It's a great way of communicating to consumers of that food that they're getting a certain thing. Now, there are better ways to farm organic and less good ways to farm organic, but it's still better than conventional. Regenerative to us, there's not a very good defined term on that, but to us, what that means is focus on the the soil health, the biological soil health in the farming rotations and the materials and the way that we manage that farmland. And we've actually gotten grants from the USDA. Um, We've produced reports on how our farmland increases soil carbon, increases biodiversity and pollinator habitats and cleans air and cleans water. So there are very quantitative and objective metrics to show that the results of what we do make the world a better place. But there isn't as much of a third party clear and concrete standard to give us that label, but we have the data, the scientific data to back it up. The challenge is that sustainable and regenerative, because they have no labels, are being misused. And there are firms out there that are doing some of the worst agricultural practices out there. I think that growing 5,000 acres of commodity corn year after year after year, 10 years in a row, continuous corn, is bad for the soil, bad for the water is just basically the worst agricultural practice that you can do on land. And yet there's a standard that's promoted by some of the industrial ag companies that is basically saying that if you're using farming practices just like your neighbor and you write down what you're doing and say why you think it's sustainable, they'll validate that and they'll send an auditor out to verify that you're doing what you just wrote down and then you can be 
certified uh, on that. And you can tell people that you're a sustainable farming operation, even though you're doing these objectively unsustainable agriculture practices. So investors do have to be aware of how these labels are used. I like the organic certified standard because it it is objective. It's managed by the government. It's very clear and it has a great track record. Our wine grapes, for example, are not certified organic because the consumer marketplace actually doesn't view organic wine as deserving of a price premium. <laughs> so it's because the very first organic wines were really bad wine grapes that the people got certified organic so that they could get the price premium. So the first organic wines that people drank were really bad wines and they spit it out and said, organic wine is bad. Not this organic wine is bad, but organic wine is bad. And that stigma has lasted for over 20 years uh, on that. So not everything that we do is organic. It's a tool, but we love those objective third-party standards. Uh, but even now with this other certification, for example, it does require investors to be a little bit more educated. Yeah. And on that point, that's actually a great transition to where, where I wanted to ask before we end here is your investor base, it would seem in the last decade, we've seen a rise in ESG interest of investors. I'm sure that probably hits you. And does that speak to the need for more data for those investors? Because sure, they want a good return, but they also want to know that they're doing good for the planet. What, what does that mean for the way you communicate how you're farming to your investor base? That's great. So over the past 12 years, I've participated in a bunch of ag conferences and spoken on panels. And until a few years ago, the amount of ridicule that I got when I'd say we buy conventional farmland and convert it to organic, regeneratively managed farmland. When I would say organic, the people in the room and the people on the panel would giggle, scowl. It was uh, not a lot of respect. And really, in the conventional ag community, there's not even an acknowledgement of climate change to a big perspective. Over the past few years, the investors have been saying, what are you doing for ESG? That's what's really driving this kind of greenwashing movement that's happening. And so we've the whole time though, always focused on data. So whether it's getting that $250,000 grant from the USDA and we published the data, just recently actually where we got ESG rated by the largest international ratings organization for ESG ratings. They've rated over 130,000 bonds, corporate and municipal bonds, over 10,000 corporates. They rank it on a 100-point scale. If you get a score of 50 or above, you're doing good for the world. If you get 50 or below, you're doing bad for the world. The average agricultural REIT in their system got a score of 17, not doing well for the world <laughs> on that. Um, we got the highest score that they've ever given to any one of their 10,000 corporates. We got a score of 82 on that. And we beat out technology companies, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, a large number of companies. We didn't set out to score highly on that, but here's a third-party, well-respected organization that's ranked the universe of companies and then given us this objective score. So I really love that investors value ESG more. I think they should continue to ask questions of all of the companies, and but require those third-party verifications. Unfortunately, now you have to look at those rating organizations and make sure it's not greenwashing either. 
Well, certainly so many interesting things happening right now in this ESG space, but also in farmland. And it's really cool to kind of see that intersection. Thanks so much to Craig Wishner for joining us on today's show. And of course, for sharing his ideas and experiences related to farmland investing, as well as organic and regenerative agriculture. You can learn more about his work over at farmlandlp.com. And if you'd like the raw, unedited, full-hour conversation I had with Craig, it's actually available to members of the FOA community. You can find that and join over at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. And we'd sure welcome you if you did. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Ag innovation.